Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 24 tonight. We had a, um, my son Nate is a freshman at Twilla High, and uh, he's uh, he's been he's been a, a, a pretty good basketball player for for his his life and. Uh, now that the youth group is gone, um, you know, and, and all my boys have loved sports and each one have excelled in their own thing. But for whatever reason, you know, Nate has just had a super gift for, for playing basketball and he's, he's been pretty good in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. He led Twilla County in his AAU team in uh, scoring and assists and steals on his team three years in a row and just been super exceptional. And uh, um, eighth grade, he got, he got, he grew like seven inches in like six months, and so um, eighth grade, he 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 uh, kind of leveled out a little bit, and the other kids started kind of catching him and stuff. And like I said, he was so dominant for three years. And in eighth grade year, he had a good year, but not like he had his previous years. And goes into high school this year, and um, you know, and uh, he he didn't start first time in his life. He didn't start, and and so, but he comes off the bench, and uh, he. He just he just played exceptional. You know, he played the whole game, but he didn't start, so he was a little bummed. Well, tonight he they're they're at an away game, and uh, um, coach called me and he said uh, he said I got some bad news. He said uh, Nate blew out his knee today in, uh, in his game, and he's on crutches and he's gonna need an MRI in the morning, and it's swollen. And we're gonna send him home with one of the parents, and so we just wanted to make sure I was okay with you. And um, and I said yeah yeah for sure of course you know yeah. And so we talked a little bit. We talked about tomorrow. The coach, the new freshman coach at Twila High is a doctor. And so he said, bring him to my office tomorrow. And he said, I'll, I'll, I'll help you guys out. And we'll get him an MRI and get him, get him checked out. And um, he said, that's the bad news. He said, the good news is, before he hurt his knee, he said, he was the man. That's what he said. He said, he, said he was hot. We were feeding him. He was shooting threes. He was going to the rack. He was stealing the ball. And Nate's like, yeah, I think I had about 20 before I hurt my knee. And um, so, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, for my boys, and, and I don't know if you guys, how many of you guys remember, but some of you walked with us through, through a season when Luke's life, and, and one of the things that we've shared with you guys is that, um, you know, for Lydia and I, transitioning from, from California to Utah, the, the hardest part for us, and it's a, it's a culture shock, you know, when, when we came here, Pastor Terry and Allison in Salt Lake City told Lydia and I that, you know, she, they told her dad, actually, they said, listen, just understand that when you send these kids here, and we're kids because we're so young, you know. Um, he said, when you send these kids here, just understand you're not sending them to plant a church in another state. Just look at it like you're planting a church in another country. Like, culturally, it's really different here. And, you know, and, and, I, and I say this all the time, and I think it's lost on us a little bit, but it really is a reality. We live in the least churched county in the United States. Now, we don't come up on any of the stats because, because they count the Mormon church in those numbers, but when you count... Our type of church, non-denominational, Bible-teaching churches that, that just believe in Jesus and the Bible simply, um, that evangelical, and the, number, the, the, the population is called evangelical Christian. Evangelical Christian is the largest religion in the world. Um, I think Islam is now second or, or something, but it's still. So in that, but in that category, um, we're, we're the least church county in the United States. So it's like zero point seven, nine, seven, eight percent evangelical Christian. You, you, you really wouldn't honestly go anywhere in the, in the United States and find a county that has 65,000 people in it that has two evangelical churches that have over 100 people in them. We're one and New Life is the other one. 
And both of us are, you know, humble, small churches by any standard. You know, the church that Lydia and I come from, the population is 30,000, and there's 3,500 people in our church. There's a Mormon church right across the street from the high school there in Yucca Valley, like they all are. But honestly, I didn't know a Mormon in the town that I left. And, and so um, that's a long story. I got off a little bit. I want to get back to what I was trying to share with you guys. But so, so anyways, in transitioning and coming to, to Utah, it's, it's, it's been amazing. Like what's really been cool, but you know, the hard part has been for the kids because, you know, just the reality is whether this needs to get off the tape or not to, to some degree, our kids have been shunned a little bit. Um, you know, and as they got older, it got a little bit harder for them when they were younger in elementary school and it wasn't as bad. But as, as the other kids start starting seminary and doing things and there, there becomes a bigger divide. And, um, so it's been hard. It's been hard for our kids to really kind of fit in and find like home. And, and because, um, things were really good at home for the kids, like we our, our our Christian school, like the church also had with it, a Christian school on the same campus, about 350 kids, um, in a Christian school, we played all CIF. Uh, we competed in small schools division in sports. We had baseball, basketball, football programs. We won nine state football championships out of the last like 14 years. Dominated football in Southern California for our division. Um, basketball team's been to the finals a couple times. Baseball team was in the finals. Just big, good sports programs. All the Lydia and I had a couples Bible study at home, and we had 40 couples just on our roster in our home Bible study in our home fellowship. And, you know, one of the people, Christina, was Nate's teacher. And the other person that came to Bible study, um, Miss Bogue is a good friend of ours, Luke's teacher, and just different, you know. So it was like that kind of thing, you know. And then, you know, my problem with Luke when we moved here was I could never keep him home. He was in sixth grade when we moved here. And uh, fifth grade, maybe. Sixth grade? Fifth grade? Which one? Into fifth grade. So middle of fifth grade. You know, he was such a social butterfly. Like he could never, he was just constantly at a friend's house, having friends over, you know, in fifth grade, just always doing something and super popular. And so that whole dynamic changes. And everybody knew us. Everybody knows Lydia. Everybody knows me. Everybody knew our kids. And, and so, you know, like with, with Luke, because he was the oldest, I think, he had the hardest time kind of fitting in here. And he struggled socially, had a hard time kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, just a lot of nights kind of being sad. Like his friends would would say something and he'd say, dad, can I go do this with my buddies? And, and then he'd be home and I'd be like, what happened? Oh, you know, they, whatever, you know, like I said, oh, so kind of bummed for him. But so he got, he started playing golf, which was late in life. Like he didn't start playing golf till like eighth grade. And, um, he, he, he picked it up pretty quick and got pretty good at it. He made the high school team, he started getting in with some friends playing golf. And it was like a cool thing because for the first time, like he had something and that, that he was doing really well at and, basketball was kind of passing him. He was playing basketball, but it was kind of coming off the bench, like not doing well in that. Baseball, he kind of decided he was done with baseball. And um, and then he has this like major injury. If you guys remember, he had this major injury, but it was it was more than just the knee injury that he had. Uh, he crashed a golf cart. Yeah. On hole 11 at, at, at Ochre. And he was, they, they put it in neutral so they can go fast down the hill, you know, and he, there's a ditch at the end of 11 and who knows how fast he's going down this hill not even supposed to be driving a golf cart, but because he's at the golf course like six days a week, they know him, they trust him, so they let him drive a golf cart when he's not even legally to drive a golf cart. Crashes it into the ditch at the end of 11. Almost kills his buddy that's in the car with him. His buddy rolls out, and they're both leaving in ambulances. Luke flew out of the front of the cart, and the dashboard grabbed the top of his leg and ripped his whole knee open. Some of you guys seen the pictures, and they were going around. I couldn't look at it. It was disgusting. 
So Lydia and I get the call, you know, and he's going in the ambulance. And so I'm going over to the golf course and I call Lydia and I tell her what's happened. Of course, you know, what's our first thought? No, the ambulance bill, of course, right? Like not how he's going to do or like, what is this ambulance ride going to cost us? So Lydia's like, well, make sure that if he could go in the car and not in the ambulance, we'll drive him to the hospital. So I get there and I'm trying to assess how bad it is and it's covered up and, and I'm asking the, and the ambulance driver's getting a little frustrated with me because he, te- he could tell what I'm doing, you know, and I'm telling him, uh, hey, is, is it, is, is, I said, is it broken? He's like, well, the bones are sticking out. And he thought I was a creep because he could tell I was trying to not let Luke ride in the ambulance. And so then finally they took the thing off and they showed it to me and I said, get him to the hospital in the ambulance as fast as that thing will go. And then I called Lydia and I told her, yeah, he ripped half his leg off. He's going in the ambulance and uh, we'll meet him there. And uh, so, but, but kind of what happened in that for us personally, and this is just a lot of personal stuff I'm sharing with you guys. I don't know why, but um, it was, it was a spiritual attack. Part of it was because it, it, it was more, not, not so much just the injury, the injury, you know, ended up happening. Long story short, he just had the nastiest paper cut you ever seen. That's all it was. His, his leg, literally, he, the thing caught him about right here, and it peeled all this skin, and, his, and all his flesh was opened up, and it was completely open, and it looked like hamburger, and it was the most rotten thing you've ever seen in your life. It was swollen. It was nasty. No ligament damage. I'm thinking he's, he's going to walk with a gangster limp for the rest of his life, you know, like, and, or he's not going to walk. He's never going to play golf again, and everything turns out completely fine. They pull the skin back. They sew it up. He's got a nasty scar over the top of his knee, and... No ligament damage, no bone damage, no bones broken, nothing wrong with his knee, just a bad cut on his knee, he's fine. Um, but, but through that, it was like the one thing that finally, you know, he found here that, that was a blessing to him um, is being taken away from him. You know, he kind of lost, it was a big deal at the course too, because, you know, they're afraid Lydia and I were going to try to sue him and he wasn't supposed to be driving the course and only because they liked him and they trusted him and he had this good relationship with the staff there and that all went away. The golf kids, the rest, some of the other golf kids kind of had the same deal. Nobody else now, nobody drives golf carts anymore. Like Luke's like this schmuck, you know, like at the thing and he's going through this like, and, and, and what, what hurt for, for Lydia and I, for him it was, again, it wasn't so much about the injury. It was more just about like us feeling like, yeah, like the, the one thing, God, that, 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 that Luke finally found that, you know, was, was helping him do well and fit in here is, is taken from him. And that's like, you know, but it all worked out. It was all good. It was whining for a little bit. Like God worked it out. He, he did well. He got back. He had a good season. Um, and so like for Nate, you know, it's kind of like the same thing all over again in a way. It's kind of like the, the one thing that, you know, for Nate and right where he's at and he, the brand new coach, brand new thing, nobody knew him over there and he's kind of having to earn his way along and he has this really great game today before he gets injured in the fourth quarter and finally hits that spot where he is where he wants to be and then this happens. But, you know, I was telling Jay and I was telling Pat, I think before we, before we came in, I said, you know, if, if for Luke or for Nate, if, if basketball or golf has become an idol in their life, then, then maybe it's, it's, it's the grace of God or maybe it's the will of God that, that checks that. And, and for both of my boys, you know, I just counsel and encourage them that, you know, you, you can use basketball, you can use golf, but it can't become the, your God. It can't become an idol. It can't become something that, and if it's become an idol and, and an injury takes it away, then, it's, then if you, you, what you need to do is get focused on God and, and, and just let this be something that God allows, something that God blesses, something that God can use, but it can't become an idol in your life. 
It can't become your God. And if it's your God, and if it has become your God, then praise God that he's taken it away for a season. You know, knee injury sucks. Hopefully he's not out for the whole season, but there's a good chance. Season just started. This was their third game tonight. They're 2-0. and um, I don't know if they won or lost the game tonight, but they're, they're, there's a good start to the season. And, you know, if it's a four-week, six-week injury, that's, that's the season this year. Um, but, but again... You know, it's just those things can't become idols in our lives. And, and, and for the boys, if, if, if that's what it is, then maybe it's a blessed subtraction for a season. Amen? <laughs> is everybody thoroughly depressed for me? <laughs> that's not the point. We're, we're, we're finding joy in serving the Lord, you know. And, you know, and, and the thing is, I think, too, I, I did want to say this, that, you know, like, I, I, I have the mic, so I get to share my story. I talked to Trent today, you know, and, and I know he's going through some things with his family. We, we prayed through some things, walked through some things today, and, and, and God gave them some, some good, good victories, and some things happened. And, and so, you know, I know that it's not just me who, you know, goes through these things. I know we all go through things. I know that, that you guys are going through things. And so, you know, keep our eyes on Jesus and stay focused on, on, on Jesus and know that, you know, we, we live in a place, we, we serve in a place, we, we, we serve Jesus in a place where um, we're Nehemiah chapter 4. You know, what, what happened in Nehemiah chapter 4? They had a trowel in one hand as they built the house of God. And what did they have to have in the other hand to make it work? A sword, sword in a trowel, literally, literally, sword in one hand, trowel in the other hand. As they were building the walls of the temple, they were building the, 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 the walls back up in the house of God and um, sword in one hand, a trowel in the other. And then, you know, and oftentimes it's like, um, you know, when, when you're in, when you're, you know, we're all in ministry. Every one of us is a minister. You know, everybody ministers in their place of work, in their homes, in their business. Every one of you, we all have the same commission, the, the, the great commission to go into all the world and baptize and, and make disciples is, is not just for clergy and leaders. It's, it's for um, people who are Christ followers. And if you're Christ follower, then you have the same call and same um, you know, responsibility, but, but in a different way, right? Like for, for me, it's, you know, in a different capacity, but every one of us have those same, same calls. But you think sometimes that, you know, those, those real spiritual battles are reserved for the, the leaders and those that are on the front lines in ministry. And, but that, that's not the case here, you know, it's really not, you know, and I try to be honest. I've tried to tell people, you know, I, sometimes I get, I get, I, I don't know if I want to lead people to Jesus here because I know the spiritual battles they're going to go through. And I'm like, I got to be responsible for that. I got to, I got to be a part of that, you know, so just trying to be up front. Hey, look, let's walk with Jesus together, but you're, you're going to face spiritual battles. We're going to face spiritual attacks and you got to have a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. And, um, you know, and, and, and the cool thing too, just to be encouraged by is that, you know, for any, any, any battles that we face, any, any work that you do for the Lord, you're never going to outgive God. You know, life's never going to be, God's never going to give you something you can't handle. He's never going to put you through something that he's not going to walk with you through or that he's not going to give you victory over. And, you know, for every one of them, it's going to create maturity and it's going to create sustenance and it's going to give God things to reward you for and to bless you for and things that, all things that are eternal, all things that you will take and live with for all of eternity as a part of your reward, as a part of your crown, as a part of, you know, the call that, that God had on your life. And so, amen? amen? All right. So be encouraged. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. But no, we fight a battle. But be encouraged that God God fights our battles for us and that all we got to do is show up and be faithful and just trust God, trust God, trust God. You know, God wants to tell you tonight, tell, tell us tonight through his word that you can trust him. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. You know, the, Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Believe that. Know that's true. That even in your worst trials and your worst 
you know, things that you go through, that God is with you. He will never leave you, will never forsake you. His love for you is great. You know, the, the good thing about, you know, one, one of the strengths, and, and every church has strengths and weaknesses, and I, and I never pretend that Calvary Chapel is the best church. It's really not. It, it's just one of, of, of the cogs in the wheel that God uses to reach people because he loves all kinds of people. Um, but, but one of the things that Calvary Chapel does well is because of our commitment to teaching the Word of God that I never get to, right, um, is, is what happens is, you know, so, some places you'll go to, some, some environments that you'll be in, um, the, there's a very emotionally charged connection to God. And, and I like to have a balance. I, I think that, I, you know, I'm a very emotional person, and um, I, use, I use worship to, to emotionally connect and be charged with the Lord. But at the same time, you know, some places and some churches you go to, the atmosphere is that each week there's this emotionally charged, um, you know, thing that has to get everybody worked up to, to, for, for God to, to connect with God. And, and it's kind of a show a little bit. And there's, you know, some places where, you know, it's this, this thing that goes on. And, you know, in some places it just gets out of hand with, you know, some of the, the displays of the so-called gifts of the Spirit and the, 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 emotional outcries in church and the the testimonies and the crying and the screaming and the yelling and the whatever goes on with the design to for because people get and I think we connect to God that way but if that's all we do you know I went to church one time and the pastor said if if the worship begins and the spirit of God begins to move and and we never get into the sermon time man we had a good Sunday because that meant the Spirit of God moved on the place and everything was great and, you know, everything was emotional and going off and the Spirit was moving and things were happening and, um, you know, and I, I couldn't disagree with that more. You know, and the problem with, with, with a, a relationship with Jesus that's very emotionally driven, what happens tomorrow when your dog dies? God's upset with you. And you feel really bad. You're having a really bad day and things are going wrong. And guess what happens to good people? Their dogs die. <laughs> Bad things. And so, but if, but if, but if, if again, as we, as we focus on, you know, you personally reading the word of God in your lives, and I, and I can't encourage you more, and I hope that I've been as clear as, as mud, as long as I've been here to tell you that you, you need to be reading your Bible and praying every day. You need to be seeking the Lord for yourself. You need to be growing for yourself. You need to be in the word. You need to be a people of the word. You need to connect with God through the word. You need to know what's true because you've read it, because God spoke to you, because you understand it, because you have a, a, a working knowledge of the word of God. But the word of God is a constant in our lives. So, so if we're having, we just get a big raise at work, our dog dies. The constant in the middle is that the Bible says that Jesus loves you so much that he gave his only, that God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son for you. The Bible says that Jesus loves you so much that he counts the number of hairs that are on your head every day, just as a gesture of, of, of knowing how intimate he wants to be with you and loves you and cares for you. And, and when you're having a good day or a bad day, you're, 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 the word of God is a constant in our lives. And the word of God carries us through those, those and, and we don't, you know, emotionally get wrecked when, when things go bad or when we have an emotionally bad day. All right, I do want to preach First uh, Samuel, so I'm going to stop. All right, First um, Samuel chapter 24. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. So I got to tell you something about En Gedi. Uh, en Gedi is, uh, I think I shared it last night, last week at the end of the sermon, but En Gedi is one of the most beautiful places in Israel. It's, it's super lush. So you have the Dead Sea, 
And then next to the Dead Sea, you have all of these, these mountains. And um, on top of the mountains, just, just next to the Dead Sea, so where the Dead Sea is, there's basically a valley that runs this way along the, that would be like the west side of the Sea of Galilee, and then a mountain range. And they're not really mountains, they're weird. They're like, they're kind of like stone rocks and hills and some kind of maybe mountains. But, um, and on top of there is where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. That's why they're called the Dead Sea Scrolls in the caves of Qumran. And there's all kinds of caves up there in the mountains and the rocks. And, and then um, along, the, sea, along the, 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 the Dead Sea is these um, valleys that, that run north and south. So the Dead Sea, the roads running to the west side. And then actually, they, yeah, they would run north and south and they feed the Dead Sea. And depending on all the water, whether it's coming from the rain or wherever it comes from in different seasons, in the wet seasons, it, it, the, the whole mountain. Anybody ever been in southern Idaho and seen like, like around Thousand Palms in that area where, you know, it used to be called Thousand Waterfalls. And there's just waterfalls coming down the side of the mountain. Every Alaska can be that way in places. Well, around the Dead Sea, it's like that. And En Gedi is this place where you have waterfalls. And of course, it's, there's, you know, it's funny because it's set in the backdrop of these brown, like rock stone mountains. But wherever these, these, these waterways come down that feed the Dead Sea, it's lush and green and beautiful. And En Gedi is a place, it's got caves, like I said, where the, 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 the Dead Sea scrolls were found. So this area of En Gedi is where David is hiding out and Saul hears that he's there. There would be lots of caves there. There'd be these waterfalls. There's these beautiful, lush, green areas. Um, Lydia, do you remember En Gedi when we, um, we have some pictures of Lydia and I when we went for, um, we went kind of on a second honeymoon to Israel. The same year we were married, we married in June. We went in November to Israel and we have some pictures of her and I in the waterfalls of En Gedi. <coughs> Pastor Jackie was with us. I remember Pastor Jackie in those, in those pictures, No. And it says in verse 2, it says, Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of, and of the wild goats. They're still there to this day. We ran into a bunch of them. And so he came to the sheepfolds by the roads where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. And David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. And then the men of David said to him, this is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. So um, David here's men are encouraging him to go in and kill Saul. They even almost use scripture to tell him that this is God's will and that Saul goes into this cave right near them. And, and David sneaks in the cave and his men say, look, this is God delivering Saul into your hands. Go kill him. And, and, but yet, that's, that's not what God was speaking. And the men kind of falsely kind of came to that assumption. And it says, now it happened. David cut off the corner of his robe. And now it happened afterwards that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David here, we have this biblical principle that takes place in, in, uh, in, in chapter 24 here. Now, as you know, several things that happened through the life of David, they set what are called like biblical principles. David and his men were men of war and David goes out to war. And some of the men said those men that stayed behind, they don't, they don't get to share in the spoils. And David said, no, those that, those that stayed 
stay with the, with the goods and those who do the sending, they get to share in the rewards with those who go. And the Bible says this became a statute in Israel to this day. And it's a biblical um, principle that we use to this day. Like when we send a missionary out, some of you support missionaries. We as a church support missionaries and all the work that the missionary does out in the mission field, we get to be a part of that um, spiritually and, and reward wise. You know, I've shared kind of the jokingly to illustrate that, that one day when you get to heaven, somebody who got saved in the country of Georgia is going to come up to you and thank you for, for saving them in, in Georgia. And you're going to say, well, uh, you're welcome, but I never went to Georgia. And they're going to say, I know, Vlad went for you. You know, our missionary whom we send, but we get, we get the reward in that. Well, here's another kind of biblical principle that David sets. And, and he says about Saul, he feels bad because he cut the hem of his robe off. And he says, I will not touch the anointed of the Lord. And so in the hem of his garment, and there's a little significance in the part of David of, of Saul's robe that David cut off. And so the same part of the hem of the garment that the, the woman reached out and touched on Jesus. So it was, you know, they, they showed these and illustrated these for us when we were in Israel. But in their, their, their normal garb, there would be a kind of like a nameplate and a tag, and it would be on the hem of the garment. And they, they would wear these tassels that, that would represent the law of Moses. And there was a little bit of tapestry and a little bit of meaning in the 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 tag and and it would be like having your your name and address written on 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 your robe in in the corner in the tassel area and so when David cut that off it was very obvious obviously Saul would look down and see that his was cut off and it would have um, Saul's whatever his signet his name something printed on it that David would knew and then and then David begins to feel guilty because he says I should not have touched the anointed of the Lord now I don't know about you but my my first thought is how could David think of Saul that he was the anointed of the Lord? Isn't, isn't Saul a schmuck? Isn't Saul, haven't we decided by now? Saul just got through killing the priests of the Lord. He, 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 he's going to go to the witch of Engedi. He, he, he's not a good person. He's, biblically, he's not a good person at all. He's not a good leader. And David yet says of Saul that he was the anointed of the Lord and it wasn't his business to cut his robe or to, or to do him any harm. And, and Saul had a position in David's life that David realized this about it. The Bible says that God um, is the one who gives promotion. That's an NIV. And, and I, when I got, first got saved, I, used to, I, I, I read the NIV for a while, the nearly inspired version, until um, I realized that it was heresy. Now, I, actually, I don't have a problem with too many Bible versions, and I never make a big deal of it because when I got saved, I didn't know any better, and I used the NIV, and it was a great Bible, and it was fine. As I, when I went to Bible college, I found there's a few things in the NIV I don't like. Um, a couple of other versions of the Bible I really like. I love the ESV. I love, you know, um, New American Standards, a good Bible, New King James. So not getting off on Bibles. But um, in the NIV, in the NIV, it reads that God is the one who brings promotion. And, and that's the way I memorize it. And if in, your, in, in my Bible now, it says, it says a little bit different, but... You know, the idea is that God is sovereign over your lives. So somebody in your circle, somebody in your world has the right, has the ability to promote you in your job. And when you don't get that promotion, what do you do? You look at that person. You, you're mad at that person. You're mad at that, 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 that boss or that thing in your life that technically they do have the power to give you the promotion that you think you deserve. But the Bible says that, that, that actually it's God that brings the promotion. It's God that brings the, the, the raise. It's God that brings, and God is sovereign over your life. And if God wants you to have the promotion, guess what? God will give it to you. And that person in your life is, 
you know, get your eyes off of them and, and get your eyes on Jesus and, and stop focusing on, on these things and, and that God is sovereign over your life. And David understood that about Saul, even though Saul wasn't a good person. Saul was not a good king. Saul was not a godly person. But David kind of felt like, and not kind of, he did feel like if God wants Saul out of the way, God is very capable of taking Saul out of the way. I don't need to do it. And I got no business because he is the king of Israel right now. Whether he's a good king or a bad king, he's the king of Israel. You know, I, I, I and I don't know how, I don't know how to unpack this. And I, honestly, I've been trying to unpack it for 25 years as a pastor. But I, I see different ministries. And I see different, different, different pastors and leaders and teachers that I don't agree with and I don't think are worth their salt. But I'm kind of careful. I think there's a few people I call out from, by name from time to time and, and tell you how I really feel. But I, I, I try to be careful that I don't touch the, the anointed of the Lord. And that I'm not necessarily the, I'm not the guru. I'm not the, the, the deciding factor on who's, the, who's right and who's wrong and who's the, who's the guru of the Lord. I am the deciding factor on who I'm going to learn from, who I'm going to follow, who I'm going to listen to, whose books I'm going to read. And there's no doubt there's certain people that I, I wouldn't waste my time listening to a sermon. I wouldn't definitely never read their books or sit under their teaching. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't need to be the defender of all evil and I don't need to be attacking the anointed of the Lord. Maybe there's a purpose in their ministry or what they're doing or maybe God is using them as a Saul in some situation and, you know, the anointing of the Lord. But I, what I do know, this is what I do know. This is what I have unpacked in 25 years trying to figure this out. I want to have the wisdom of David and I don't want to touch the anointed of the Lord. I don't want to be guilty of hurting or touching or killing or, or jabbing at or stabbing the anointed of the Lord. And that's the biblical principle that's taught here in this section. And then it says, um, now David afterward, I'm reading again, verse five. Now, now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to the men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. And so David restrained his servants with these words, and he did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. And David also arose and went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, King. And David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of the men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father sees, yes, sees the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Now, now know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Everybody highlight verse number 12. Okay, get out your highlighter, your underliner, and that is the uh, summary of, of what we just talked about, right? In verse 12, that's, that's the bottom line. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. So don't let it be your hand that, 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 that whacks off the, the, the Lord's anointed or that is the final judge or, you know, just let God judge, right? 
Let God be the, the judge between you and this unrighteous person or this, this bad situation. Let God deal with it and, and, and let God be sovereign over the situation. But my hand shall not be against you. I won't be the one that's guilty of it. Um, Romans twelve seventeen. You can write that next to it too. Um, I'll just read it for you. You don't have to turn there unless you're faster than me. I don't have it marked. In Romans twelve seventeen, it says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. So there's your Old Testament, New Testament parallel. Basically the same idea. One more time. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You know how many times uh, over the years my pastor told me, quoted to me verse 18 in dealing with life and ministry? If it is possible, live at peace with all men as much as depends upon you. As much as is in your control, as much as you can, you can handle, live at peace with all men. Dad, how do I handle this situation? How do I handle this person? How do I, how do I deal with this? As much as depends upon you, live at peace with all men. Uh, dad, how do I, how do I handle this? How do I do that? As much as depends upon you, live at peace with all men. As much as is in your control. Well, I can't control it. They're, they're this and they're that. Well, then you can't control it. Are you doing what's right? Are you taking the high road? Yeah. 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 Okay. Well then as much as depends upon you, live at peace with all men. Take the high road. Don't be uh, the one that's whacking off the, the Lord's anointed. In verse 13, it says back in first Samuel, as the pro- as the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? And why do you pursue a dead dog, a flea? I guess that was David's assumption of himself. Therefore, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So it was when David had finished speaking these words Saul, to Saul that Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? I, he calls him my son. There's a, you know, there was a bit of, um, I don't know, I guess, I guess uh, sympathy and, and emotion left in the heart of Saul towards, towards David. He really had no reason to hate David. He, he, he should have loved David. He knew that David was good to him all these years. He knew that David killed the giant for him. Goliath, him and his son were good. David was a man of, of war who who had done good things for Saul, who had come. And when Saul had a distressing spirit that would come upon him, he would call for David and David would play um, instruments beautifully for him until um, the, the, the distressing spirits would leave. And, and so Saul here has a, you know, a real moment of emotion. And this, again, is not manufactured. It's not fake what happens here in this verse. But it says Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. And so, so Saul was moved. He was moved by the fact that, again, David could have killed him. He knew that he was a dead duck in that cave and that without a doubt, if David wanted to, he could have cut his throat and not just the hem of his garment. Um, And he wept, you know, but one of the things about Saul at this point of his life is, you know, there's a, there's a kind of thing and I'll just kind of, let me, let me rabbit trail just for a minute. I'll try to stay not too long on it. But in Genesis 27, 31, um, I'll read it to you. Genesis 27, 31. I usually mark all these so I can get to them quick, but I didn't tonight. It says, and he also made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat his son game that your soul may bless me. 
And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who, where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate of it before you and came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But, but he said, your brother came with the seat and took away your blessing. So we see Esau, who's, who's in bitterness of tears, and he's crying and asking for um, his father to bless him. And then the New Testament gives us commentary about what happened in Genesis 27. And it says that even though, God, even though Esau sought it with tears, that, that his, he wasn't crying tears of repentance. That he wasn't, he wasn't sincere in his brokenness. Because you'd say, here's a guy who's broken before you, Lord. He's crying. He's re- he, he's, his heart is broken. And don't you honor those tears and that brokenness in this brother who's seeking you? And yet you didn't honor Esau. What happened? And God says that, 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 that Esau, even though he was in tears, he was crying. He, he wasn't repentant. He, his heart wasn't broken before the Lord. He was, he was crying because of his own you know, wanting his way and because of his own selfishness. And, and so, you know, the, the tears of repentance, God will honor in your life. But they got to be, a, a, it has to come from a sincerity. And there's a difference. But a sincerity of, of tears and of brokenness before the Lord is definitely something that God honors. And so it, it's so much so that the Bible has to clarify why Esau wasn't honored in that moment of tears. And God tells us, like he couldn't just let it go in the Bible. He, he comes back and he, he explains for us that Esau was not honored because the condition of his heart wasn't, didn't match his tears, and his tears were phony. And so here we see, we see Saul, who's in tears, and I don't really know. I'm not necessarily making a case that Saul was in that condition, but if, I, if we're making a, an assumption based on his heart and where he was in life at this point, there's a good chance that, that these, again, were tears, but not tears of repentance. And in verse 17, it says, Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good. Whereas I have rewarded you with evil and you have shown this day how you have dealt and you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me for if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Somebody say, amen. Amen. Who's going to reward David for with good? The Lord, who's going to reward you with good when you live at peace with all men as much as depends upon you? When you, when you understand that it's not that, that, that flesh that's between you and a promotion, that flesh that's between you and, and life that, that really is your issue. You know, ultimately what happens is um, in your heart of hearts, you know, and I've had it happen. I've seen it happen in the ministry. We, we had a young um, youth pastor who, who went to Bible college and he was super dynamic. He was this handsome kid, man. He was charismatic. He was a good teacher. He was a good communicator. He was funny. He was popular. Um, just well gifted in ministry and started serving in the church as a youth pastor and um, eventually became bitter because he didn't feel like he was getting opportunities and promoted like he felt like he should and eventually left hating dad and, and you know, decided he was leaving the ministry and was going to get a job somewhere else. And, um, you know, and ultimately what happens, though, and why God doesn't want to allow that is because you're mad at your boss because, you know, somebody else got promoted over you. Somebody else got something you deserved. You're mad at the situation. But really, at the end of the day, where does your real bitterness lie? 
with God. Really, you're mad at God. Because in your mind, you think that God can fix this situation, and you're, you're looking at this person, and you're mad at this person, but really, you know, you, you find what, what's, what's really the matter of it is that you're, you're bitter with God, and you definitely don't want to be there, and you don't want to be bitter with the Lord. And so, um, and just know that God rewards, and God rewarded David for his decision. You know, I think if we read in, in the last couple verses that David went into that cave, and instead of cutting off the hem of Saul's garment, that he, he cut Saul in two, None of us would probably have a problem with that. I kind of think, oh yeah, Saul deserved it. Saul's been trying to kill him. Saul's already thrown his spear at him three times, tried to pin him to the wall, and then threw his spear at his own son. And has, now he's chasing David in, in En Gedi, trying to kill him, and you know that, that he would be justified in that. But David didn't do it, and God honored it. And verse 20 says, And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So that's something that oftentimes would happen. When, when the new king would come in, he, he, he wouldn't want any rivals. He would, he would go and he would kill all the, the descendants and the sons and the relatives of, the, of the, the former king. And so Saul asked David here in this time to promise him that he'll be kind to his household. And, and David and Jonathan actually already, we've highlighted where David and Jonathan already had a similar pact where Jonathan asked him to show kindness to him, and David promised Jonathan that he would show kindness to him, knowing that David would one, be, one day be king. David is going to honor this promise here, and also the similar, same, almost same promise he made to Jonathan um, down the road. He's going to remember this one day, and they're going to be sitting at the table, and he's going to say, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that, that I can show kindness to? And they say, yeah, there's, there's a young man, a descendant of Saul, whose um, name is Mephibosheth, who's lame in his feet, and David brings him to the house, and he lives at court in the king's palace for the rest of his life and, and eats at the king's table, and David honors this promise here. Verse 22, so David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Um, the next story is really good, too. Quickly. And I want to I close in a worship song or two. Um, all right, quickly. No, actually, it's really good. Nabal is Nabal's an idiot, and his wife is really cool. So let's check them out next week. Um, you guys want to come up, close us in a song or two? Do you mind? Um, let's worship the Lord tonight, you guys. And maybe God, God's got something in your life that, uh, you know, is heavy tonight. And I, I don't know, you know, why everybody comes out on Wednesday nights. I'm glad you're here. And, uh, and, and, and maybe, you know, there, there's something going on that you want God to deal with and, you know, or maybe it's nothing, maybe it's just good. Maybe you just want to praise him and worship him. And, you know, however you want to do that tonight is, is totally cool. Whether, you know, you like to sit down when you worship, you like to stand when you worship, you want to kneel in front of your seat on the dirty concrete and, um, say a prayer, turn the chair around in front of you or, you know, however, we'll just spend a few minutes and, um, let God speak to you. Maybe, maybe even, I don't know if God gives you a verse. Open your Bible while as we sing the next couple songs and read a psalm or, you know, be sensitive to anything God wants to speak to you. Maybe there's something going on in your life that, that is sin. And, and, you know, this is always a sweet time to, to get right and repent of something or, or ask the Lord if there's any wickedness in you. Or maybe there's a call of God. You know, oftentimes sins aren't, you know, you're out doing illegal drugs or anything. I'm not talking about that. Maybe a sin in your life is God has called you to step out in, in faith and in ministry somewhere and you've been afraid and you haven't trusted him to step out and do something that he's called you to do. And, and that's a sin of, of, of omission 
something that you're not doing that God wants you to do. And I think, you know, oftentimes we think of sins as just terrible, bad things that we're doing, and it's not always the case. Maybe it's just a simple lack of faith in stepping out where God wants you to step out. But, and I don't know, I don't know what any of that is, and I don't even want to try to pretend that I'm going to describe exactly what's going on in your life, but I happen to know a God who, who will describe and will know exactly what's going on in your life, and he's here tonight, and, and uh, we came out tonight to seek him, so let's just seek him together. Um, hey, next week I was supposed to announce, and I better do it now or I'll forget. Uh, we're going to do pizza next week. We invite you guys to all come out. You guys can pray for me. I, I will be gone next week. I got invited to, to do some teaching in California. Um, Dan's going to travel with me as a travel companion. Super blessed by that. I don't have to go alone. So Dan and I are going to be um, traveling and teaching next week um, for a couple days. I'll be back for Sunday. I'll be here this Sunday and next Sunday, but I will miss Wednesday of next week. Um, but we're going to do pizza next week and have a time of worship and um, and the word. So, so come out next week and eat. And, um, and I think that's it. Yes. Yeah. Pat's going to share the word next week. So come out for that. And, uh, so let's worship the Lord. Let's turn the lights off. And again, you know, you sit, you stand, you do what you like. If, uh, if God calls you to, to pray for somebody in here tonight, to reach across the aisle, to reach up, reach across, don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to put a hand on somebody's shoulder. And this is how simple it is in life. Can I pray for you? You know, can I pray for you? And even here, it's so strange. You know, I've tried that a couple of times with some folks and they look at me like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not knowing that I'm saying like, I'm going to pray right now, like out loud, <laughs> right where we are, you know, like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll pray, I'll pray, like, yeah, but no, I mean, can I pray for you? Just can I pray for you? It doesn't have to be anything special or magical or anything. Just be sensitive to what God speaks to you. Just believe that God is real. The Holy Spirit can, can move in our hearts and lives. It doesn't have to be a weird thing, a phony thing. It's just, it's a God that lives. It's Jesus who rose again, is present in this room. And, and do you want to hear him tonight? Do you want him to speak to you tonight? Is there something in your life? Are you willing, if he tells you something difficult that, that he wants to call out of your life, that he wants to do in your life, are you willing to hear that? Are you willing to say yes, Lord? You know, I love, you know, one of the things from Daniel Fusco's ministry that I, I just love to death and just want to bring here and adopt is the thing they do. It's just called simply responding to Jesus. And that, that's, that's what we want to do tonight. We just simply want to respond to Jesus. Just put feet to your faith and just simply respond to anything that God wants to speak to you. So we got seven minutes left. And for seven minutes, we're going to ask God to speak to us individually. And if anybody would like prayer, I'd be happy to pray with you for you. And I'm not the only one that can pray. I'm not the only one God listens to. I'm sure God listens to a lot more of you guys, a lot better than he does me. So walk across the aisle, ask someone else to pray for you, ask me to pray for you, pray for yourself, and just let God move. Amen? Amen. Let's worship.